Your Steve Jones Show podcast is loading now. The Steve Jones Show podcast is sponsored by Sunbury Motors, North 4th Street in Sunbury, and Sunbury Motors Kia, routes 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf. Sports talk where your voice counts. This is the Steve Jones Show on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Now from the Sunbury Motors Studio, here's Steve Jones. Great to have you with us. Brought to you by Sunbury Motors, 4th Street in Sunbury. Sunbury Motors Kia, Roots 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf. And you go to sunburymotors.com. Check out the great lines of Ford, Lincoln, Kia, Hyundai, pre owned inventory. Great deals out there right now, too. All at Sunbury Motors and sunburymotors.com. Carl Ravage will be on the show today from ESPN, and there has been, within the hour, very interesting news. When you get into a negotiation like this and things break down, and you realize that you have a problem. Someone has to be, quote, the big man in the room. Now, nothing's happened. Right? There's no deal or anything like that yet. But the person that has been criticized more than anybody else in this has been Rob Manfred. Well, guess what Rob Manfred did? He got on a plane last night, and he flew to Phoenix, known in the back corner office as Pahonix. I, I, I worry about stuff. I don't, know if, don't you worry, Matt, when you hear stuff like that? Always. You're going to that suit. No, that's Phoenix. Huh? <laughs> it's, it's spelled Pahonix. Oh, it's like, okay. Rob Manfred flew to Phoenix to meet face-to-face, not on a Zoom call face-to-face with um, Tony Clark. And he left all of the... In other words, it's the two of them. So all the... Halem and Meyer and all those guys, all the extras in the room were on the Zoom call. have been left behind. And right, no letters. Halem wrote a letter that like turned people off. Myers written letters. No letters. What have we said for the last few weeks? I know everyone talks about the new normal, which I hate. The new normal. Oh, grow up. Your new normal. Okay? It shows, this this period of time we've been in has shown that we can make adjustments and we can add it into what we're doing. But nothing replaces sitting down at a table face-to-face with somebody and saying, okay, let's talk. Nothing. You can Zoom all you want. I'm sorry. Zoom is... Uh, a couple levels. You've got impersonal, and then you've got that level. 
right? So it's higher than that level because you at least see them. It's like doing FaceTime. You know, I FaceTime my my uh, three of my grandchildren over the weekend, but I didn't. I couldn't hug them. Couldn't play games with them. Well, nothing, especially when it comes to negotiation, nothing gives you a better chance of getting something done unless you're sitting down face-to-face with them. And sometimes it's got to be mano a mano. And Manfred got on a plane and he flew to Arizona to meet face-to-face with Tony Clark today. And... Needless to say, that's important. Now, whether they accomplish something, who knows? But Manfred had to do something, and guess what? Sometimes you have to be the big person in the room, which Matt and I have attempted to tell a certain someone internally no let's go with that (laughs) so supposedly this is what they're proposing Major League Baseball wants to play 60 games in 70 days the players will get their full prorated salary the season would start July 19th or 20th they would expand the playoffs this year and next, which I think then sets up the next collective bargaining agreement because I think they'll go for expanded playoffs in that. And the key that the owners want in this is the waiving of any potential grievance. Uh, Jim Bowden, by the way, says it could be more than 60 games. It would be, quote, 60-something games. It's better than 48. Starting July 1920, okay, not the 4th of July, but okay, it would work. Part of Manfred's problem is this. He may be the commissioner, but who does he work for? He works for the owners. And you can sit down all 30 owners, and you're going to have some that say, "Hey, let's go, let's play." You're going to have be, you're going to have some like, "Well, okay, you know, but it's got to really be the way we need it." And you're going to have a segment of owners, sometimes four, five, six. They're going to say, "Heck with this, let's not play." Now you need 75 percent to agree to whatever is agreed to in the end here. So four to six owners don't have the power to hold the whole thing up. Because if you get six saying not play, that's not play at all, well, guess what? You're still at 80% if the other, if the other 24 say yes.
These reports do suggest that further negotiations have taken place and are bearing more fruit than ever. Suffice it to say, it's in the interest of all vested parties to make a season of some kind happen. Okay. So that's what is in the works there. We'll talk to Carl Ravage about that in the final half hour. First time we've had Carl on the show. Great job by Mac getting it done to get him on the show. But again, face-to-face negotiations. Nothing. You can have different ways of communicating with people, but nothing replaces face-to-face. Nothing. Maybe in a certain situation you can't meet face-to-face, but common sense, it's the new normal. Well, fine, you can do that your way. I'll actually get something done. I'll go meet them face-to-face while you're fiddling around on your laptop. And that is... what's going on there. Now, that doesn't mean it's an absolute they're going to get something done. But the bottom line is, again, Clark didn't go to New York. Manfred's the one that went to Clark. Just that mere gesture opens the door for a better conversation. We know who was in the stronger negotiating position. For the first time in 25 years, Tony Clark's organization, the Major League Baseball Players Association, is in a better negotiating position. And that's where we are on that. I was talking. I was talking with Dave Sims today, the Mariners play-by-play guy. And Dave's like, Steve, he says, I gotta get going here. I said, Don't, I said, Dave, I understand. He says, Every day I'm waiting for news. I said, I know. It's been tough for a lot of people, by the way, a lot of good people. And so we'll we'll see what they work out. Now, once if they are able to get this done, now the next step is what do you do with the minor league baseball thing? Now, I was thinking about the minor league baseball. Now, minor league, you know, let's face it, the cutters and the spikes were supposed to play tomorrow night here to open the season and then go to Williamsport Friday and Saturday. Now, obviously, that's not going to happen. But I was thinking about that today and I've, I've done a lot of reading obviously I do a lot of reading every day because you you can't sit here and do this show and not not read as much as I tried to tell someone in the corner office years ago whatever um, <laughs> oh, I don't want to read I, I and I was reading an article it was actually two weeks ago but then I really gave it more thought today. And the article dealt with the Cincinnati Reds and how the Reds added a minor league level. 
Well, then in reading about that more extensively yesterday, it turned out this is how they got the team. The Astros decided to abandon their Appalachian League team, just not have that level. And the Reds jumped in and took it because the Reds wanted that level. So when it comes to 120 teams, this is what I don't understand. Every organization has their own blueprint as to how they think they want to get there. Some want to invest in free agency. Others want to work to keep contracts. So they'll give a second contract to keep players. Some may be a free agent. Somebody might be a key player that they developed in their own system or they traded for. And others want to get as many homegrown players as possible. And some want to have a mix. What I don't understand is if the Astros, and by the way, Lemmy Lunau, this is, this is his baby. If the Astros want to have four levels in their organization, fine, let them have four. What if the Reds want seven? Because they feel, hey, look, we're going to sign as many players as possible. Let's see, like, if we can hit. I mean, for example, if the if the Astros don't have as many levels as they have, Jose Altuve might not be with the team right now. I mean, Altuve was okay early in his minor league career, but no better than okay. Yeah, I know. I saw him play. He played against State College. Same thing with Mookie Betts. Mookie Betts was playing second base when he played against State College. Well, the Red Sox at that point had some guy named Pedroia. They weren't going to move. It's like being a shortstop in the Yankees organization for 20 years. I think I need to either change organizations or change positions. Because I don't think number two is leaving the lineup anytime soon. I don't understand why teams, why an organization can sit there and say, you know what, I think we need six levels. I think we need five levels. I think we need four. And have them make up their own mind as to how deep they want to go with their organization. What's so difficult about that? Instead of mandating it, where you've got to make choices. It's my organization. If I want to pay two extra levels of minor leaguers, I'll pay two extra levels because I think that's the best way for us to build. Or, you know what, our minor league system, I think we just need four. I, I think they should leave it up to the organizations as to how many levels they want to keep. Maybe mandate a minimum or something, you know, minimum of four or minimum of three, whatever. But if somebody wants to go beyond that, let them. I don't see why it has to be so centralized, organized like that when you've got 30 different philosophies out there as to how they you want to build your franchise. I don't know what you think of that, Matt, but that's... Now, will anybody suggest that? No. 
But it's interesting how in reading how the Reds jumped into this situation in Tennessee as quickly as they could, as soon as they found out it was available, because they felt they needed the extra level based on their philosophy. Houston didn't feel like they needed that extra level, so they abandoned it. Okay. Everybody has their own way of doing things. Well, that's because Cincinnati can use it right now. <laughs> but but how about the Pirates? The Pirates can't use it? Oh, that's true. I mean, the Phillies? The Phillies can't use it? I think the Phillies can use it. Because if you're going to spend all that money on Bryce Harper, and you are spending a significant amount of coin on Bryce Harper, you may want to have a little less expensive parts around him. The governor and Rachel Levine next. Not talking to me, but to you on News Radio 1070 WKOK. And Rachel Levine next. Not talking to me, but to you on News Radio 1070 WKOK. begin in 30 seconds. When it comes to car buying, there's the other guy's way, and then there's the SMC way. The other guys force you into a vehicle you really don't want. The Subway Motors way lets you take the time you need to browse, ask questions, and take the test drive and think on it. For over 100 years, the Merth family and all their employees have made your experience the most pleasant one you'll ever have. The other guys won't offer you the best price for your trade, no matter how much they say they will. The SMC Way is their promise to provide you with the most money the market shows your vehicle is worth. The SMC Way is to offer you all applicable factory rebates on new vehicles and generous discounts. Looking for a pre-owned vehicle? The SMC Way checks each vehicle in a 200-mile radius to determine the lowest price, then beat it. It's the lowest price promise, just part of the SMC Way. The choice is up to you. The other guy's way or the SMC Way. The SMC Way wins every time. Sunbury Motors Company in the North 4th Street Auto Plaza, Sunbury, and at sunburymotors.com. Selling more cars and satisfying more customers for over 100 years. Sports talk where your voice counts. This is the Steve Jones Show on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Now, from the Sunbury Motors studio, here's Steve Jones. Sunbury Motors, 4th Street in Sunbury. Sunbury Motors Kia, routes 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf and online at sunburymotors.com. Ford, Lincoln, Kia, Hyundai, pre-owned inventory. You can get the process started from the comfort of your own living room. You can do your shopping right there. Take a long look at some great, great vehicles. And there's some great deals to be had right now, too. All at Sunbury Motors and sunburymotors.com. I don't know how we can possibly top the previous half hour, but we'll attempt with our play-by-play call of the day. It is a distinct possibility that this is his last at-bat of 1998. Take a good long look. This is going to have to last you until next March in Florida. First and third, two out. It was amazing. They didn't get to the playoffs that year. Uh, the Cubs did. Uh, and it was interesting. A guy that I've shared a broadcast booth with a few times 
in uh, my career. Jim Riggleman was the manager of the Cubs in 98. And here's another irony. Sammy Sosa, three different times in his career, hit 60 homers or better. He never once led the league in home runs. How about that? Or he never he never led the league in home runs hitting 60 or better. Never, I think he had 51 year and he led the league. But he had three three times he had 60 or better, and not one of those three he led the league in home runs. Amazing. Like, you know, Barry Bonds, 22-year career. You know how many times Barry Bonds led the National League in home runs, Matt? No. Twice. Wow. That's it. Definitely thought it was more than that. Everybody would have. With 762 home runs, you'd think he probably led the league in home runs five or six times. Twice. All right. When you look at the Penn State running back room, you have Journey Brown, Devin Ford, and Noah Kane. Noah Kane at the end of the Iowa game picked up two key first downs in conjunction with that hard work of the offensive line and the tight ends and put that game away on the road. Got banged up. Finally was able to get back and play in the Cotton Bowl against Memphis. We all know that Journey Brown ran for 202 yards in the Cotton Bowl, the first ever Penn State player to run for over 200 yards in a bowl game. But right behind him was Noah Kane, who really put together a spectacular game that day. But when the other guy rushes for 202, it sort of slides under the radar. He had an opportunity yesterday to talk with the media, starting out with Mark Brennan from Fight on State. Uh, Noah, thanks for doing this today. Uh, can you take us through your weight progression since you arrived at Penn State? Uh, how did you go about doing that? And do you recall what you ran 40-wise the last time you did it? Right. Uh, so basically, it came in like around 205, 208, coming in as an early enrollee. And as time went on, I kind of just got out of baby fat off of me. It started to come more and more lean. And then this offseason, I think my body, it, I, I was actually surprised as well. Cause I was just, you know, I was eating right and everything. Had meal prep, and uh, just like weeks went on, I noticed I was starting to gain like three or four pounds here. It was actually like good weight for me. I started to feel comfortable with it. And at first, it was like, oh, I don't want all this weight. I want all this weight on me. But it was just like natural weight. I was, I guess, my body was maturing uh, faster than I expected. And it's like the around March, like right before spring break, I noticed I was like two twenty three, and like that was like a big jump from where I was at last season. So. As time went on, my body started to get adjusted to it, and, you know, it's been for the better. So I'm excited uh, just about the way I'm at right now, and I just can't wait to get on the field with it because I feel more explosive and lean right now than I have ever been just with my body and my health and everything. So I feel good. Next question is Peter Turkshow, WTAJ. Hey, Noah, uh, can you walk us through what quarantine was like for you? Um and maybe something that stuck out about that whole time. Yeah, quarantine was, I'm pretty sure quarantine was weird for everybody on this call. I, quarantine was different. I, I, was, I wasn't used to it. It was um, it was hard for me just to sit inside. I, I already just like sitting in the room. You can only sit in the house for so many days. So um, just seeing, you know, being there with my mom, my, my cousin, it was an adjustment for me. Like it just, you know, staring at the wall some days, not knowing what I'm gonna do next. It, it was hard, so I, I just made the most of it. When I got a chance to go work out at a park or anything I could do, I'll do that. But it was a big adjustment for myself. 
Our next question is Ben Jones, statecollege.com. Hey, no, you guys did a lot last year as a running back room in terms of working as a collective, but you were not a big part of the passing game or the, the receiving game, I suppose. Where do you feel like that is uh, for you specifically, and do you feel in general that running backs are going to have more uh, in that area under this new offense? Yeah, I mean, like last year, I, I felt like, you know, every time um, Coach Randy uh, called a play for me to receive the ball, I, you know, I never dropped the pass, so – I just think that comes with, you know, trust of the offensive coordinator. And I feel like Coach Rocker has faith in the running back room for us to make plays in the passes game as well. So, you know, I'm just excited about the vision he has for us. And I think we're going to have many more opportunities in the passing game, just as much as the run game this year. Audrey Snyder, The Athletic. Hey, Noah, thanks for your time today. I'm curious, when you talk to your teammates who are back, who were able to work out yesterday, um, what are some of the things they're telling you in terms of, you know, where are you allowed to be in the building? What does the workout look like? What are you hearing from some of those guys? Yeah, I'm just saying it, it's it's, an, it's a big adjustment just for social distancing, uh, wearing gaiters, covering your face. You can't really, you know, dab up anybody, give them a hug, just because, you know, all the precautions that we're having now. So this one, what I've been hearing is like, you got to just keep your distance and mind your business, honestly. Get your work in and get out because the last thing we need is, you know, for some people to start becoming too touchy and then they see, you know, we're in a big mess with this virus. It's so easy to get it. So they've been telling me, man, just you got to keep your distance from everybody. You know, just get your work in. Tyler Donahue, Lions247. Hey, Noah, great to hear from you. Thanks for your time today. Oh, no problem. Appreciate you, Tyler. Hey, I wanted to ask you about a couple of your backfield uh, teammates. Uh, Jaywan Sider seemed to think that Devin Ford may be getting slept on a little bit because of what you and Journey Brown accomplished in 2019. What would be your message to, to us and the Penn State fans about what to look for from Devin Ford? And additionally, the newcomer, Keziah Holmes. I know he was he had to leave campus with everybody midway through his first semester, but what's the early impressions with Keziah? I think Kazai's done a great job with coming in, just working hard, not saying too much. He uh, kind of reminded me of myself, just like eager to learn, ready to get to work. So he's done a great job with just trying to learn the playbook and um, just fit in with the group, you know, and not try to do too much or do too little. And so I, I'm, I'm really impressed with what I've seen from him this past semester in the winter. And then how about Devin? Yeah, Devin, Devin, um, Devin, like I've been learning from Devin a lot as soon as he got in here. He, he actually picked the playbook up faster than me last year before the season. So I was, I was trying to learn from him, seeing how he learned. And he was just teaching me different things of how he understood the playbook faster. So yeah, Devin's a, uh, he's a, a smart guy. He's going to know where he needs to be on the field. He's going to make plays. So I think, like, for all of us in the room, we're all unproven. It's a new year. Last year, you know, it's, it's in the past. That's something we look back on once we leave Penn State. But now I just think Devin is a – he could get out there, you know, handle his business just like the rest of us are. Donnie Collins, Time Tribune. No, the, the way Journey finished last season, what what did you learn from that? How he kind of, you know, took his game from one one point and then it elevated it in November. Yeah, Journey, what he did last, last the last few games of the season, that just just showed you it's a testament to just being ready, being ready when your numbers called. Like beginning of the season when Ricky was starting, and then when I got my opportunity, Journey never hated or anything. He's waited his turn. You know, just due to injury, he stepped in. Coach decided to say he's going to step up. And that just shows you to be ready when your number's called. He never looked back. 
And yeah, Journey, uh, he, he was playing like the best back in the country the last few games last year. We all seen that. So I'm just excited, honestly, you know, to see how he capitalizes off of that this season. And uh, I know he's been working hard, so it's going to be good to see. Mike Gross, Lancaster Newspapers. Hi, Noah. Good afternoon. Um, you, just to be clear, you, you said you, you've been up in State College since Wednesday, but you haven't started working out yet. We, we heard about Phase 1 and Phase 2. Are you are you Phase 2? And what's your sort of daily routine like uh, being up there right now without uh, – you know, without being part of the workouts. Yeah, so I'm, uh, I'm, I'm still part of phase one. Just we had to do a week quarantine, a week of quarantining, and uh, I just got my test. I just took my test uh, yesterday, actually. So I was waiting, my, waiting to get my results back as well. And then my, I just really been working out on my own. Uh, I have a gym in my apartment that I've been using. You know, I kind of just use what I have. So I mean, I haven't had really any drop off. I've been working out at home. So I, I just, I've been making sure I'm getting my work in. So uh, whenever they let me come back in the building and work out, I'll be ready. John Salver, Center Daily Times. Hey, Noah. Thanks for the time. Uh, where do you feel you need to improve most from year one to year two to take the step and get where you want to be in your career? I feel like the game needs to slow down more for me, which it has, just with understanding uh, coverages and understanding um, blitz concepts with the defense. I think last year, a lot of the time, my eyes were all over the place when I go back and watch film. Even when I was running, I was just like, I was really just playing ball, honestly. But I think my, my main goal is for the game to slow down for me this year, so I could just make more plays when my number's called. And I think uh, it has slowed down for me, so I'm just real eager to keep learning the playbook with this new offense and just trying to, you know, play my part next year. Nubias Wilborn, Pittsburgh Post-Gazette. Hey, what's going on? Um, how you doing, man? What's good? What about yourself? And just chilling, trying to get through this pandemic. You know how I go. But um, from there, obviously, you went to IMG, but um, you're from Baton Rouge, and Baton Rouge has gotten hit really hard with the COVID and everything. Yeah. What's it been like for your family down there, man? It was it was hectic. I had a few family members that had the virus, and I've seen what it can do to you. It's, it's definitely needs to be taken seriously. It's, it's not a joke. Um, my, my, my cousin had it. My auntie had it. My, my mama had it. Like, I... A few people in my family had it from them just being in Baton Rouge. So I, I wasn't able to go down there due to my family just wanted me to stay away. But it's definitely a serious thing. Um, the, like the coronavirus is a, a real a real serious thing. It needs to be taken seriously. It's it's a scary. Some days you don't know if the person's going to make it, honestly. So um, and that just taught me how to take it more seriously because I ain't going to lie to y'all. At first, I was just like, oh, it's a virus. I'm not going to get it. Um, but as time went on and people, the loved ones close to me start getting it, I start taking the most seriously and taking all the precautions that are needed. Mark Wogenrich, sportsillustrated.com. Hi, Noah. So your family, how many members of your family were affected? And then were you in Texas while this was going on? Is that where you spent most of your time? I was in, I was, I spent most of my time in Arizona and Dallas. Since I wasn't allowed to go to Louisiana, my home, I spent half my time in Arizona, half my time in Dallas. And then I had four family members affected from the virus. All of them are doing better from it now, but just those those month that month and a half time frame, it was a it was a difficult time. John Petitnock, HappyValley.com. Good afternoon, Noah. Appreciate your time today, and hope you're doing well. I'm glad to hear your family's doing better now too. Appreciate you, man. 
Hey, when you look at how much you played last year as a true freshman, were you expecting to get that much playing time? And, and also, what do you think you did that showed the coaches that you were ready for that big of a role? I feel like um, it's not really what I expect. I just kind of – I'm just ready my numbers call. So, I mean, I work hard for everything I get and I earn it. And last year, I just feel like uh, after that pit game, I really feel like I earned the coach's trust with just putting the ball in my hand at any, at any time in the game. And as time went on, I just kept trying to make more and more plays and show them I, I belong and, I, and I'm here because everybody they always had that narrative that uh, he's too young, not mature enough yet to play early. And I didn't want to have that on my name. That was, you know, that was real uh, big on me just like avoiding that. So I was I always want to make sure that I showed the coaches my maturity off the field as well as on the field and just earn their trust with, like, not fumbling the ball, doing what I'm supposed to do, um, and just not having minor issues off the field because the smallest details that you'll miss, you know, can affect your playing time. So it was just big for me to show my maturity on and off the field. Next question is Neil Riddell, Altoona Mirror. Hey, thanks, Greg. Uh, now, I'm wondering what you learned during the time, the second half of the season when, you know, you, you weren't 100% there, how taxing, how – taxing that was on your patience it was very taxing I, I really I, I haven't missed games really since my freshman year in high school so it was real hard for me just to sit back on the sideline and have to wait my time to get back healthy and I tried to get back get back get back and ankle still wasn't right and the training staff did the best the best job that they could just you know trying to make sure I was good mentally and physically it just you know ankle injury sometimes it takes time to heal you can't rush your body back but, you know, that's why I was blessed enough to get back in the bowl game and um, just play my role. So it, it was definitely uh, a challenging time for myself. All right, we'll go through the list of questions again. If you do not have a question the second time, just please say pass. Uh, Greg Pickle, Penn Live. No, I'm glad to hear your family is doing well. And I'm just curious, now that you've seen from your perspective what this virus can do, what um, – precautions do you think need to be taken for the season to be played safely and why do you still feel comfortable being back at campus even though obviously you know you've seen what the impact of this virus can be yeah honestly um it was it was a difficult decision for me to come back um just because of the fact of like it's so easy to get it from touching somebody being in the same room as them especially on the plane and I really, the best thing about being back at state college is like it's a small town so not many people are here versus cities I was in and honestly, um, the precautions that we got to take, I'm still educating myself on a lot of them, so I can't really speak on that right now because our team physicians are, are teaching me more and more every day on what I can and cannot do. But it's just it's so easy to get it. And I think, you know, I know our season isn't confirmed yet, but uh, I think, you know, the, our, our doctors on our, on our team are going to, you know, give us the best chance to play and, you know, keep us as safe as possible. Mark Brennan, fight on state. Noah, how familiar were you with Penn State's running back tradition before you uh, committed? And specifically, how much of an impact did Saquon make on your decision? And have you been in contact with him since you've been at Penn State? Uh, I was I was somewhat familiar with the tradition. Um, come, like, getting recruited by Penn State. When Coach Sider had gotten here, he had offered me. And then ever since then, he was just, you know, filling me in on all the traditions here, the running backs. And I, I was honestly surprised by the long list of numbers of running backs that's been in this program. It, it was shocking to me. But uh, that's just a testament to the tradition here and to the offense that they ran. And just watching what Saquon had did, you know, his time being here, that honestly had a big impact on me because, honestly, 
if, you know, if him and Miles wasn't here, I'd have been kind of skeptical about, you know, coming in, haven't had a big back come out in, in a minute before those two. So, like, definitely Miles and Saquon had a big impact on me coming here, just seeing what they had did, you know, and uh, seeing the opportunity that I could have to do the same thing. Peter Turkstrad, WTAJ. Hey, Noah, um, how much did you guys lose not having spring ball, uh, especially when it comes to a new <clears throat> offense and um, – do you guys think you'll be able to – what's it going to take to to get to the level you want to get quickly uh, when it comes to once you guys are able to start practicing as a team? Yeah, I think – and I have a spring ball. has been a – it was a big deal you know, for us because we haven't learned a new offense, you know, versus if we were in the same offense last year, we're putting a few, you know, adjustments in. It would have been different. But, you know, it's, it's hard it's hard for mental reps to, you know, translate onto the field. So it's going to be adjustment for everybody on the offense to come in and just take one day at a time and learn it. So as soon as we, uh, you know, get the confirmation that we're going to have a season and camp and everything, it's going to be a, it's going to be a growing process for everybody because we didn't have those those physical reps. You can't just translate mental to physical in one day. You got to actually go in the field and you know make a mistake for you to learn. So I think um, once we get back, we have a lot of work to do with just learning the offense, you know, at a good pace and then be ready for the season. That is Noah Kane. Everyone has their own story, and you heard Noah's story dealing with his family and four different members of his family contracting coronavirus. He understands the depth and the seriousness of it, but he has decided to come back here, and I think you can sense they all feel that he might be actually better off here. Uh, By the way, uh, we talk about numbers every day. Yesterday, you heard Center County had five, or excuse me, six new cases. Uh, actually, five were incorrect. It was actually one. The other five were not, ended up not being diagnosed that way. All right. We'll come back. Carl Ravitch, final half hour as we continue on News Radio 1070 WKOK, brought to you by Sunbury Motors. Taking your calls at 800-795-9565. This is the Steve Jones Show on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Now from the Sunbury Motors Studio, here's Steve Jones. Sunbury Motors, 4th Street in Sunbury. Sunbury Motors Kia, routes 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf and online at sunburymotors.com. Ford, Lincoln, Kia, Hyundai, great pre-owned inventory. You can get the buying process started from the comfort of your own living room with some great deals to be had all at sunburymotors.com. He is still finally remembered in Harrisburg, up in Williamsport. They'll tell you nothing but the greatest things about him. And in our business, he is a, a pro's pro, and that is Carl Ravitch of ESPN. Carl, welcome to the show. It's a pleasure to have you. Steve, good to be on with you. How are you doing today? I'm doing well, and I hope you and your family are safe and sound and doing well. Appreciate that. We are, knock on wood. we got a whole house full of four 20-year-olds, but we're doing fine. Thank you. <laughs> then you need more than good luck. <laughs> <laughs> this has been a day where there's been at least some positive news when it comes to Major League Baseball. We know how it's gone to this point, Carl. What did it mean that somebody had to be the big person in the room, this time being Rob Manfred, who actually physically flew out to Arizona for a face-to-face instead of having a Zoom meeting with Tony Clark? 
Yeah. Uh, well, I think your point's well taken. It had to happen. Somebody had to step up and uh, and be the adult in the room and recognize in order for you know baseball to come back, that this is what has to happen. We've gone through social media. We've played the where and when game, and that, that kind of has run its course. So, you know, he, he did what had to be done. We, we have to move this forward. Otherwise, there won't be baseball, I think. There were owners that started to say, let's not do this. They're afraid of the coronavirus kicking up. Um, so I think they I think they did get pushed into it, but I think that ultimately he probably would have landed there anyway. People forget about Rob is that he's done this several times before, um, and part of the reason that we're in this situation is because in his doing in the last labor agreement, you know, they really, <laughs> they really blasted the players, and I think players are still kind of PO'd about that. Yeah, that's a 2016 agreement where, in a lot of ways, you feel like they they felt steamrolled by how how it played out. Uh, All right, this has been, for baseball, Major League Baseball, a run where, obviously, these negotiations, you've had a five-round draft instead of 40. You've had the Astros investigation, then to appoint the Red Sox investigation. And there's the deal with minor league baseball, which affects here because the season was supposed to start here tomorrow in State College. Right. This has not been a winning streak. Uh, what is <laughs> what do you, what do you think the perception is of Major League Baseball? Because it seems like everything they've done has not been what you call in the best interest of the fan. Well, I agree with you. I said during our draft coverage, the idea that we who love the game romanticize it. Um, we really need to shelve those emotions because this is a business and uh, it has to do with uh, owners making money, players making money. That's first and foremost the priority for them. It's most important uh, that they put food on their table and they don't consider the fan. And we, we want to be considered. You know, we're, we're sitting there with our hands up saying, don't forget about us. Don't forget about us. We're the ones that consume the sport. We're the ones that uh, watch it on television. We're the ones that go to the stadiums. We buy the beer. We buy the popcorn, and hot dogs, and buy the shirts and jerseys. And yet we don't. We don't have a say. You know, we we want to be in the room where it happened, and we're not. And it's a very frustrating feeling for fans. So, to answer your direct question, it hasn't been a good time at all for the baseball fan. Um, but we we are a resilient group. We love our sport. We haven't yet had a sport really competing against it in the summer. So as a result, we, we keep going back to it. We have an affinity for the uniform. We have an affinity for the city. We don't always like the players. We don't always like the managers. We more often than not don't like the owners, but we go back. So we're, in a sense, taken for granted. And, you know, you got people who like to think, about, oh, I'll start a fans union and we'll just boycott. Well, that, that won't work because fans are – too passionate about the game they, they want to they want to see baseball so yes you're right it doesn't feel like they've grown the game in any way which is one of the things rob said that he wanted to do he's a big friend of little league and i know when we were there he you know espouses the virtues of the little league program in williamsport um and maybe this is a boost to colleges and maybe there's a way they can work on a scholarship or something for colleges to grow the game that way but it has not been to your point something that the fans will look back on fondly and say boy from about 2017, 18, 19, and certainly 20, we really got uh, got the short end, and that, they'd be right. So, Carl, obviously, you've had a chance to talk with Rob Bamford. I've never been in the same room with him. With him, does mm-hmm. he have a, a sense and a feel for the game? And, and I want to go, for example, when they were talking about maybe should the Astros be stripped, he said no. He, he had to walk back the hunk of metal uh, uh, comment. Does he have a feel for this? 
I mean, I don't mean the negotiating part. I mean for the for the for the game of baseball. I think what he believes he has a feel for, and I do I do believe he does, is 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 in a sense making it uh, making it more interesting, making it more exciting, which ultimately would draw more dollars. I do think that's ultimately the the goal is how do we get more dollars out of this deal? And I do think he believes that the things he's talking about, while it offends some of the purists, I think he's convinced that these are things that need to happen. I tend to think along with him in many of those cases. Um, so I, I do. I, I actually do think he has he has a feel for that stuff. I think it's probably rubbing purists the wrong way, but I sense that he's pretty sharp with, with what he's thinking. I was talking uh, with Dave Sims, who does the Mariners games this afternoon, and Dave said he was talking to Boog Shambi, and Boog was saying, doing some of the KBO games changes your schedule. You've had to do some of those games. What's it been like, A, for the schedule, Carl, and B, what's it been like to try and do a game uh, on in a studio and not physically be there? I wish it was my. I wish it was a studio. It's my bedroom. Um, it's your bedroom. You know, there's a whole set, <laughs> yeah. There's a whole setup in a bedroom suite with a MacBook and a headset and a audio box that allows you to talk to the producer and director and researcher and anybody who, when you need help because the internet goes down, you can scream at them. So, believe it or not, that part hasn't been as as terrible uh, as you think. There's anxiety around the idea that maybe the internet goes down or the feed goes down that, that's the biggest issue because it's not as if you can sit there and fix it yourself that's i'm not equipped to do that um right. but beyond that the technical aspect of doing it has not been has not been overly difficult i can i can tell you that so that part of it's been been uh okay the, the timing and getting up at three in the morning is the is the bizarre challenging part i'm, <laughs> I'm very much looking forward to having major league baseball back yeah, no question about it, because it's interesting because the other day, uh, my broadcast partner for Penn State football is Jack Cam, and Jack said, have, have they decided how we're going to do games? I said, well, as of right now, I think they're going to let us in, but it would be very interesting to try and do it from a studio and separate it like I that. I think that's or, what happened or, in the beginning. Or, I, there's no doubt. Or, or your bedroom. <laughs> yeah, or your be- exactly, which, uh, well, you know, you, you have privacy. It's quiet there until the dog barks and the wife gets up. And you're interrupting. You're going else's sleep at 5 in the morning. But, uh, again, you know, to the credit of the people behind the scenes, the, the ability to do things like this is, is remarkable, and that may be what we're doing for a little while. There's no question about it. When you, uh, you've done the Little League World Series, uh, what has that experience been like for you? It's obviously not going to happen this year, but what has that experience been like, and what has that done for your love of baseball? Uh, well, it's my, it is my favorite event, uh, bar none, and I get a chance to cover the Major League World Series and have for 20-something years and College World Series. Little League's my favorite, um, and I say it all the time. You know, those kids play because they like baseball. Uh, they want to win, but they like baseball. They're playing with their pals, um, and most of the people that I speak to who are either in college or at the major league level will tell you my favorite time of baseball was when I was a kid playing little league baseball. There's joy. You know, there's passion. There's fun. Uh, it's not there's a business. We're not discussing contracts and stuff like that. So that part of it is fantastic. I love it. Uh, then I'm going to ask you about your experience in Harrisburg because when we mentioned that you were going to be on the show, we had another com- a number of comments about your time at Channel 27 in Harrisburg. What was that like for you, and how did that then set you up moving forward? Well, I was working with a great guy, Greg Mace, who passed away, oh, and uh, most people in central Pennsylvania know that. He was, uh, he was a close friend. He was great at what he did. Uh, I probably learned 
more about storytelling there than I have anywhere else, uh, and he was largely responsible for that. Um, you know, you kind of remember what what uh, local sports is all about and how important it is, uh, even though I'm doing it on a national level. There are people that play these games, and it's important for them to have their stories told as opposed to just focusing on the garbage that we've been focusing on, the money. Um, great experience, great people. Really enjoyed that area. Live right on the Harrisburg-Hershey border. Um, you know, and that was uh, that was a great three years. I, if I had not convinced myself that he was never going to leave, which he never did, uh, <laughs> I wouldn't have been so anxious to kind of move to the next step. But I, I knew he was in a great place, and it is a great place, and he wasn't gonna he wasn't gonna budge. So it was wise to do what I did and try to look elsewhere because I would have been, in a sense, behind him for the last you know twenty six years. Right. Uh... I've got to ask you about your son, Sam, because he's been able to get into the business. And yeah. ironically, Ty Parnell, who was yeah, sure. with, the, with, with the curve, then was here in State College with the Spikes, then took the Richmond job, opened the door for him down there. What kind of experience was it for him, and what did Parney mean to really getting things rolling for him? Because obviously you know him as well. Yeah, instrumental. Um, you know, friend before he was boss. Um, opportunity, uh, hard driver as far as, uh, you know, what's important, recognizing the value of baseball. Um, that was a hell of an experience, you know, and he and Sam has sort of taken a different route than I did going from local TV to Sports Center where you're in a studio. He sort of took the play-by-play route, and, you know, if you're fortunate enough to get a job in a local station doing local games like that in Richmond, which is a great market, it's uh, yep. it, it, it's proven to be incredibly valuable for him, and there's nothing glamorous about it. I mean, some people lose sight of the fact that, you know, radio or local TV or even national, there's there's a perception, then there's the reality. And, you know, whether it's doing KBO games from your bedroom or working uh, all hours of the night, it's a job most people would love to have, but it's not all glamorous. And local radio in Richmond will remind you of that. And it's a great due you have to pay. And you have to pay that. You can't. You can't have expectations that you leave uh, school and you're working at ESPN. It doesn't work that way, and I'm, I'm glad that he had that experience, and Parnell's a great guy to, to learn from. And you have no idea how many times in the broadcasting class here at Penn State that I've told the students, look, you don't go from here to Bristol. All right, You nope. have to work, work your way through. And, of course, I get blank stares. Uh, so. <laughs> <laughs> well, I will say this. I mean, this is a generation where they expect that. They expect access to, yeah. you know, the top floor. They expect to be on. That, that's that's part of it. But those that learn that's not how it works are going to be way better off. There's no question. What kind of adjustment was, you know, baseball tonight was such a great, great uh, franchise for ESPN for such a long time. You've done a lot more play-by-play of late. What was the biggest adjustment, Carl? Um, well, I try to minimize the adjustment because I took the philosophy that I had during the show, which was to sort of be a floor leader, involve everybody that was on that set. I took that right into the to the uh, booth, calling the games with whether it be Eduardo and Tim or Peterson and Chris Burke, whoever it is, is that it becomes more of a conversation. So that part of the transition wasn't wasn't that bad. I mean, clearly traveling and and all that is the biggest difference, but it's the same to be the same format. I, I'm into that. Conversation and it has served me well, I think, as a play-by-play guy versus the straight play-by-play stuff. Uh, what about when you're doing uh, college basketball? Same deal. I mean, I, I know that you know working with Jimmy Dykes. Uh, yeah. We kind of I encourage people to come out of their shells a little bit. Be be personable. Be human. Be authentic. 
really an important part of this, and I think some people try to be someone they're not. Um, I know, you know, Jimmy's got a good sense of humor. Uh, we learned during one game at Vanderbilt during a blowout that he once cut a song, and we went, our audio guys, and found the song, and that basically became the entire second half of a blowout game, and it was the most memorable game we did in the entire year. So it, it's it's important to tap into the people, the analysts you're working with, get their personalities to come out. Uh, don't make it about yourself. Really make it about them and make it about the game. Yeah, yeah you know, and that's, that's you know, because obviously I work with two great guys, Jack, him, and then Dick Girardi uh, for years with the Daily News. People want to hear what they have to say. I mean, you know, I mean, and I think that's the most important part. If you're working with people that you realize that people want to hear what they want to say, give them room 100%. to operate. Hundred percent, and uh, they're they're there because they played, and now you got to get them to talk about their experiences because that's what makes you know your broadcast unique. What they did when they were playing, and they need to share that with people. You, know, you got to put the person in the uniform on the sideline in the huddle. You and I can't do that, but the people we work with can, and that's our job to make sure we can get it out of them. No question. Now I'm just going to bring it back full circle to the final question. Say it ends up being 60 to 65 games. That seems like yeah. the number that they're talking about right now with an expanded playoff. Uh, do you feel like that is enough? You know, we're both such huge baseball people. You feel like that's enough to satisfy considering the, 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 uh, the situation we're all in right now? Well, remember, you're talking to a guy who, you know, would just as soon see Major League games be seven innings long. I think there's a way to make these games more exciting. I think if we play 60 games uh, and we have an expanded postseason, it will be the most memorable season we've had short of the city that has celebrated the World Series, meaning the Red Sox, um, you know, the Giants recently that have won World Series, the Astros. I think it will be the most memorable season we've had in the last 20 years because it will be different, and I, I encourage different. And, in fact, I go back to the NHL from a couple of years ago. They came out of the lockout, played 48 games. That may have been some of the best hockey I've watched. And without question, you and I, that's how I think. Yep. Carl, absolute pleasure. Appreciate it. Uh, And uh, just great, great respect for your work. I appreciate that. Let's do this again. Thank you very much for uh, having me on. I really do appreciate it. Same here. Thank you. Carl Ravage, he's one of the best in the business, without question. Intelligent, thoughtful. Uh, now, at the other end of the spectrum, by the way, I, I had you know, I hate to bring this up, um, Matt. But Father's Day's coming up. Yes. So I asked the suit. I said, "What do you think? You know, what you know when you talk to suit light?" I said about a gift. He mentioned cash. I mean, I, I don't, I don't understand <laughs> that. You're the dad. We'll come back with more in a moment here on News Radio 1070 WK. Okay. You should see the suit at the holiday party doing the robot to this. Really, something else. Eh? I was going to send Doug Birdsong a, a video of it. And Doug, and Doug screamed, no. No. I was like, sorry, Doug. I... You think I'm kidding about the the cash thing? He told, he told Sue Light just to write him a check. It's, you know. Like I said, that's not how Father's Day works. And this will be your first Father's Day. That's right. 
I'm looking forward to it. I understand Luke's been out buying stuff. <laughs> and using your credit card. <laughs> Let's go with that. <laughs> All right. It looks like the, when it comes to baseball, 65 games might be it. I want to get to something Carl said at the end, which I'm in total agreement with, Carl Ravage. And... If you saw his gift choices, you'd understand cash. <laughs> the suit's texting me now. Great. That means we doubled our ratings. All right. But he said something at the end that I thought was something we've touched on before. Financially, what I'm about to say is probably impossible. It's probably impossible. Because if you're giving Garrett Cole $36 million, you're giving Mike Trout uh, $35 million. Mookie Betts is going to play this year for the Dodgers for $28 million. If you're going to dole out that kind of cash, what I'm saying is going to be impossible. But baseball might be better off, every sport might be better off, with less. The NHL 60 games. The NBA, 60 games. Major League Baseball, maybe 120 games. 120 games, a lot of games. You know, you can do that over, you know, 120 games. You can take care of that in four and a half to five months. Expand the playoff. But you can't do that because you now need the inventory from... TV, radio, you need the inventory for attendance in ballparks to pay for everything you have to pay for. But realistic, I mean, idealistically, not realistically. Idealistically, I've always wondered why the the consideration of, hey, you know, less can be more. And Carl and I just talked about the 48-game NHL season because they were coming off the lockout. And this is, I don't know, what, five years ago, maybe? I remember the, the Penguins acquired Jerome McGinley. I mean, they looked like they had a pretty stacked team, but they, it turned out they didn't have any chemistry, and they couldn't get... You know, they got into the playoffs, but they couldn't get going in the playoffs. They didn't quite have this that, that right mix. But that 48 games felt like it was a sprint, and every night meant something. And if you look at a, say, let's take baseball. Now, the NFL, now the NFL is going to do something that's really weird. The 17-game season, you think about it. every season. NBA 82, 82 NHL, 162 baseball. The Premier League is what, 38? Uh, WNBA is 34. What do all those numbers have in common, Matt? They're all even numbers. The NFL is going to go to the 17-game schedule in a couple of years. That will be the only sports league that has an odd number of games. Now, the Big Ten has nine conference games. But then again, there are 14 schools in the Big Ten, so numbers have never quite worked in this conference. 